0: Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message.
1: Hi, again. Uh, So, I'm Dana again. I'm going to give you, um, provide you the scripture today. So, if you're able to, please join me in standing for the reading of God's Word. Today, uh, it's coming from Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. Very, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else. To the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Amen. May God bless the reading of this word. You may be seated.
0: Hey, before I even introduce myself, I want to capture a moment. I felt like the Lord was doing something here in the second worship song that we had together. We sang together that Jesus is alive. And now he's the lamb who's sitting on the throne. Which means, friends, that if we really believe that Jesus rose from the grave and is now uh, s- sitting with the heavenly father in heaven, it means that he has the power and the grace to fully hold your past. It means that he is fully present with you today in this future, whatever you are facing today after this service. And it means that you can trust him with your future whether it be the future of your kids, the future of your teenagers, your future, friends, we can trust him to usher us out of this life into eternal life with him. And if we can do that, then this life today and how we live changes radically. Amen? Amen. I just wanted to draw our attention to that, that Jesus is alive, that he is sitting on the throne, and that he has you, and that you can trust him, and as you walk in trust, even though you can't see it, your life will look more and more like Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Okay, here we go. Uh, What was planned? Uh, I'm Pastor Garrick. I bring greetings to my beloved uh, covenant and brethren, brothers, and sisters in Jesus Christ. I'm really excited to be here. I currently serve at Coastline Covenant Church where I co-pastor, and we're having a great time as kind of a new church plant, but I love this place. This is a great church. I want you to know that you are part of a great body of Christ. I came in before 840. And you had like six people at the front door greeting me, right, with smiles and happy to be here and in love with the Lord. And so you have a great welcome team. You have great people in this congregation, some of them whom I know and, and love deeply. So uh, again, my name is Pastor Garrick, and it is an absolute privilege for me to be here. And if you can't tell how excited I am, then then maybe my excitement can be your excitement this morning, Amen. Amen, okay, hey, can we start off our service? I've got a little call and response. Are you guys awake yet? Can we do a little call and response? Okay, you're with me. I'm gonna give you a category, and then I want you to tell me for you, is this I have to, or is this in the category of I get to? Do you know the difference? I have to is obligation, I get to is delight and joy, okay? So let's start with a couple categories. Are you with me? You're gonna shout some things out? Let me say this, we're under the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, There is no judgment, I'm not recording anything, you will be fine, I want the truth, because Jesus already knows the truth, okay, so, cooking dinner, have to, get to, have to, to. okay, yard work, not one person with a get to, okay, all right, I'm learning a little bit about you guys, washing the car, shopping, that's usually the battle. That's usually like this. I get to, I have to. There's, there's some tension there. Uh, watching football. Wow, there's a lot of have-tos. I'm sorry, it's football season. Okay. Uh, watching HGTV. <laughs> One person. Uh, going to the dentist. I'm sorry if you've got dentists in your congregation. I've got three of them. We're not trying to collect more. I'm trying to spread them out a little bit across the congregations in the South Bay. Okay, going to church. Amen. Prayer. Amen. Okay. I think you guys were honest. I'm gonna believe you in that. But usually when you ask that question, there's a little bit of a stall. Because we know the right answer, but we often don't necessarily feel or like we're living into that right answer that going to church and prayer is something that we get to do, and not something that we have to do. That if we're honest with with ourselves, that our prayer life often feels like something that's a little bit more of an obligation, like I'm supposed to, and I need to, and therefore I have to, and not necessarily a source of joy in our lives. I'll be honest with you, I've gone through seasons in my life where prayer for me as a pastor was very much a, I have to, I, this is what, I'm, it's kind of like part of the calling, right? Like when I signed on the dotted line and said yes to the call in my life, it's like Jesus snuck in there like, and you will live a life of prayer, right? That it needs to be part of the calling. And so I've had the seasons in my life where it's felt like duty in my prayer life where it's felt more of a necessity, it's felt more like hard work, maybe you felt this way too, that your prayer often feels more like a discipline than it does a delight. And why I'm so excited to be with you this morning is I absolutely love Mark 135 because this one single verse in God's good scripture has radically transformed, friends, how I view prayer and how I step into prayer. And that one great truth has very much changed my relationship with Jesus Christ. So this morning, what I'd like to do is I'd like to take a look at this passage. And one of the things you have to know is that if the attitude of your heart toward prayer is currently more, man, I have to do this than I get to. Like regardless of everybody shouting out the correct Sunday school answer, right? Like, I get to go to church, yay for me, I get to pray. Wherever lurks in the corner of your heart where you know that there's dissonance between what you just said and what you experience, I think this verse is for you. And my aim for us this morning in our time together is that we would look at the pattern of Jesus' prayer life and that we would be invited into his rhythm of prayer. I'm going to give us throughout my sermon five rhythms that I see in Jesus' prayer life coming out of this passage. And if you're a note taker, I want you to jot this down and think about it. If you're not, go back and re-listen and kind of capture some of these themes because I believe that one of these is going to be key for you in taking the next step in the growth of your prayer life which ultimately is going to drive the intimacy of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I want you to really pay attention and the good news is this. When you're catching the rhythm of something, you don't have to catch it all at once. I was at a wedding a few weeks ago, and as the DJ was playing, I was sitting in my chair around you know, the uh, round table, and we had had food, and people were hitting the dance floor. And for me, catching the rhythm of the DJ started with my finger tapping on the table, right? Next thing I know, my kind of head was bobbing. Like, oh, I'm kind of into this song right? Next thing I knew, I'm like, I'm fully dancing in my chair, so why don't I get off of my chair and go join my friends on the dance floor? That's catching the rhythm, and my prayer for you this morning is that there'd be something here in God's Word as we look at the prayer rhythm of Jesus, that you would begin to catch that rhythm. So let me pray for that as we open up God's Word. Father, we thank you so much for the life of Jesus. Lord, we invite the power and the truth of your scripture, your holy word, to come in and do what it promises to do, Father, that it would cut our hearts, that it would judge the thoughts and attitudes, Father, in which we live. Father, come and speak in this time, and we invite your Holy Spirit to come and meet the word in such a way that, Father, we just haven't been to church together. We've communed with you. Father, we know that we need that. And so, Father, come as you always faithfully do, love on us, encourage us, exhort us where we need it, and Father, speak your truth. Would you help us jump into the rhythm of prayer that we see in Jesus' life? In your name we pray, amen. So even before we get to our passage here that was read for you, I think you have to understand the context of what has taken place earlier in the first chapter of Mark Notice that Jesus has lived an exhausting day of ministry, that he's already done a ton. He began in verse 21 teaching in the synagogue, and he's teaching in the synagogue. He heals a man who's demon-possessed, and he's there teaching, and they're thinking, wow, by what authority are his words, and by what authority are his actions? And immediately, Mark tells us, as he loves to do, one of his favorite words in his gospel, basically saying, like, right after this, Jesus goes up to Peter's house and Peter's mother in law is sick. And it says they immediately told Jesus about her, which is code for saying, Jesus, she's sick, do something. So Jesus has just taught all day and I remember we did our VBS at our church and we were doing the synagogue school and I was the teacher for the day and they just kept rotating kids through the synagogue school and I had kindergartners and then I had second graders and then I had fifth graders and then we were back to first graders and friends if you've ever tried to take a message and teach it to fifth graders and kindergartners, good luck. Can I get an amen for all your children's ministry workers, right? Like, there is a special place for you in heaven. Yeah. So I'm there teaching, and I'm only there for like two and a half hours. And I remember coming back to my office, and I'm like, I'm exhausted. Well, Jesus has been teaching all day, and I'm sure he's tired, and he gets there. And what does Jesus do as he always does? He meets the need. He uh, heals Peter's mother-in-law from her illness. And so Jesus is often, I believe, in this moment that he's tired. And we're told in verse 33 of chapter 1 that it didn't stop there. They said, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many uh, and had various diseases. And he also drove out many demons. So Jesus has had this exhausting day that never ended. He was teaching, he was healing, he had gone to Peter's house for some rest and before he knew it, he was healing again. I'm sure he grabbed a little bit of food and as evening came and the Sabbath ended, all the people rushed to the front door and Jesus, here he is again, people in need and ministry has come to his front door. So what does he do? He steps into that need and that ministry. So I'm sure that Jesus is tired Maybe he's even exhausted. It's been a full day and night of ministry. It's been nonstop teaching and healing and healing and teaching. The crowd has found him again, and now they're pressing him with their needs. Now, what I want you to notice, how does Jesus respond in this moment? Because we're told in verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. He gets up early before the sunrise and goes to pray to his heavenly Father. Here's what I want you to notice. Notice that when life speeds up, Jesus slows down. When life speeds up, Jesus slows down. This is the first rhythm that I see in Jesus' prayer life. When his life speeds up, Jesus slows down. And I think, friends, if we're honest with ourselves, How we tend to respond when life picks up the pace, when the needs are high, when the demands continue to come, we get on the treadmill and we begin to run harder and we begin to run faster and we pick up our pace and we try to get more done because more is coming at us. And yet Jesus purposely slows down and hides away with the Father in prayer. It's like he's modeling for us this truth that a rushed pace leads to an overpacked schedule, and an overpacked schedule leads to a frantic life that often squeezes out God and often squeezes out prayer. Did you catch that in this moment that Jesus is intentionally setting the pace of his life? I think that's important for us to know. Because it means that regardless of the pace of our lives currently, and regardless of how busy we currently are, we can always choose moments of stillness. Can I repeat that? Sometimes you can't put down your responsibilities, you can't change your priorities in an instant. You have things that you have committed to, work has picked up, the needs for the family have picked up, you're expending yourself maybe in your ministry and for the kingdom and it's a busy season and you can't let things just go. But you can always still choose moments of stillness with the Lord regardless of how busy you are. I lived this season uh, of life for me. I was serving at Rolling Hills Covenant Church, and at the time, I was leading a young, uh, uh, contemporary service that was very much growing. I was leading a young adult ministry that was happening on Tuesdays. I was also part of leading our adult team, which was supervising six other pastors, and they invited me to the elder board, which if you've ever been on an elder board, some are quick. Let me just say, this one was not quick. Like we would start at seven, and we would end at midnight, I was extremely busy. But even in that busyness, I decided like, man, I can't change any of this. I can't drop any of these responsibilities, but here's what I can do. I can go and choose a moment of stillness with the Lord. And so I'd go hide away in the bride's room and I'd set my phone for 20 minutes. And I'd say, Lord, I'm just gonna give you 20 minutes. Bless it, may I meet with you. Give my heart and mind what it needs because I can't change my pace yet but I can still choose a moment of stillness with you. And that's what we see in Jesus. When life picks up, Jesus intentionally slows down the pace of his life. So we're told in Mark 1.35 that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, which was the way Peter—excuse me, Mark chooses to let us know that, hey, it's before the sun has come up which lets us know that the move toward prayer was Jesus' first move. It was his first priority of the day. Now, I've realized in my life, if I could have a moment of confession with some of my closest brothers and sisters in Christ... I realized that as I was thinking about this message that I've fallen into the habit, and this isn't bad, but you know those iPhones that we all have and love and carry, they're pretty intrusive if we're honest with ourselves. And the first thing that I do when I get up in the morning after my alarm wakes me up is I go and check my phone and I scroll through a bunch of news things and different things happening, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm challenged to think about before Jesus does anything else that he makes it a priority to come to his Father in prayer. Before the concerns of the day, before the tyranny of the urgent, before anything else could vie for his attention and time, Jesus pulls away to be with the Father. Friends, here's my second rhythm of Jesus's prayer life. He sought out the quiet and stillness of the early hours. Jesus sought out the quiet and and the stillness of the early hours. Now, I don't know about you, but I came to faith at an early age and I was a night owl until I hit my 40s and then something weird happened where I just still go to bed late but my body wakes me up at like six in the morning regardless of what time I go to bed. Some of you know what that's like. Those who are young don't know, but get ready. It's coming for you. So here I am, you know, getting up early, getting into kind of this new rhythm of being a morning person. And I'd spent my whole life knowing about Mark 1.35 and almost like reading it as kind of like this passage of guilt. Almost like, hey, Garrick, if you really love Jesus, if you were a true disciple, you would get up at five in the morning and begin your day with the Lord. I've always been a night owl. And the morning never came easy for me. Well, here's the good truth from Mark that you need to know. There are three recorded passages in the book of Mark where Jesus prays. This is the first one where Jesus gets up before the sun arises. The next two in Mark 6 and in Mark 14 is Mark 6, remember the story where Jesus sends his disciples on the boat, he climbs up to a mountainside and prays till the very late hours of the evening. For the night owls, this is where you read the passage and go, oh, oh, I see myself, amen. And then in Mark 14, you know the story, the Garden of Gethsemane after the upper room discourse. Right, right before he's arrested, it's, it, we're told in the, in the Gospels that it's very late at night that Jesus is praying to his heavenly Father. I bring all of this out to be able to say you can explore and put yourself in the quietness and the still hours in the morning and in the evening. There's room for those that are morning people in your prayer life, and there's room for those that are the night owls. And that should be, hopefully, a good message for all of us, that we can step in and find the hours of stillness that we see in Jesus' prayer life. So let me ask you, what is your first move of the day? What's the first thing that you do? Is it to make a list and to get things done, cross them off your list, feel like you've accomplished much? Jesus' first priority wasn't his list. It was handing his list to his father. That's another good point for those. My wife is a type A. Anybody mar- not type A, married to a type A? <laughs> I guess I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I can tell by some of the smiles you know where I'm going. If you're married to a type A, they like to schedule lo- their life, and they like to schedule your life for you as well. And if you're not type A, you don't like to be scheduled, particularly by somebody else, right? Right? But I've learned through 24 years of marriage, like, I need a list, and she. my biggest thing is, like, keeping her list her list and making my own before she makes one for me. And so as I've been learning this of kind of this list-making and and living into it, it's not that making a list is wrong. It's a good skill set. We should be doing it. You have things that you have to get done tomorrow. It's good for you to be thinking about them maybe even tonight. But the rhythm that I see in Jesus' prayer life is not that he doesn't make a list, is that he makes space to bring his list to his heavenly Father before he goes to accomplish it. So if you're a list maker, if you're thinking about all the things already that you gotta get done on Monday, that's fine. But the rhythm that I see in Jesus' prayer life is he gets up early or he stays up late in those quiet hours is saying, here's what I think I'm gonna be about today. Now let me give that to you and see if you confirm these are the things that I'm supposed to be about today, that I'm asking you to be with me, that you might bless my day-to-day and that I might be a blessing for your kingdom. Talking about Jesus' prayer life and it being the first priority is not to negate our list, it's just to talk to our Heavenly Father about the lists that we have So very in the morning, while it was still dark, before the sun came up, we're told that Jesus gets up, that he makes a conscious decision that moves with intention and determination. Now, I've been asking myself ever since I went on this exploration in 2018 to deepen my prayer life, why does Jesus get up? He's exhausted, and yet the first thing that he does is he goes out and he seeks the Heavenly Father. And if you look in Mark 1, 12 through 13, I think you see one of the aspects that he's in need. He knows hunger, he knows thirst, he faces temptation, just like we do on a daily basis. He's engaged in spiritual battle. I think need is there. I think it's part of why he goes. I think it's missional clarity you see in chapter one, verse 11, where he's baptized and God says, this is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. And part of it is keeping missional clarity. Who am I as the son of God and what am I supposed to be doing as I'm on this spinning globe that I helped create with my father? But I think the real thing that captivated my attention as I studied this passage was, yes, there was need, and yes, there was missional clarity, but it was desire to be with his father that ultimately got him up out of bed, even though I'm sure he's physically exhausted, and drove him to be on his knees before his father. It was simply a desire for his father. Uh, If you will put on the side screens for him, if we have it, John 1.1. It's the prologue of John. You're probably familiar with this passage. In the beginning was the word. In the Greek, it's logos. It's John's way of saying, in the beginning was Jesus before he was incarnate. And Jesus before he was incarnate was with God. And the word, Jesus before he was incarnate, was God. It's this reminder that for all eternity past, Jesus had been in the presence of his father. And the only time when he's not is when he comes down and takes on flesh and becomes incarnate and becomes the sacrificial lamb to die on a cross for our sins so that we could have this new righteousness in our relationship with God. Not because we're righteous, but because we receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so he's in this different place where he's not in the presence of his heavenly Father. And I think it's the desire that he misses the intimacy He's still the son of God, but his means of communication with the father have now changed. He's no longer just dwelling in the presence of his heavenly father. He's now on this spinning globe called earth, removed from God's presence. And I think that drives his desire saying, I miss my father, I miss him. I'd like to be with him. And I think that's the driving desire here that we see and Jesus, when he comes to the Father, even though he's exhausted, this brings me to my third rhythm of Jesus' prayer life. Jesus delighted in being with his Father. I'm assuming you all have fairly close friends somewhere in your life. You've probably lived enough life to know that you have maybe some school friends, some work friends, and you like them and they're meaningful and they're important in your life. But then you have your close friends and your best friends, the the friends that you don't just see at work, but the friends that you invite into your home and to share life with you. That's the kind of intimacy that Jesus has with the Father, that he delights in. And I think in prayer, that's where we build this intimacy and depth of friendship with Jesus for ourselves. So, third rhythm, Jesus delighted in being with his Father. Let me tell you a little bit about my journey. My journey from prayer moving from I have to and a burden and a discipline to prayer being a joy and more of a get-to in my life. Here's what, as I explored this and and practiced in 2018, and, and God brought some very significant change to how I relate to him. In my prayer life i made this very simple yet profound shift from bringing all of my needs and all of the things that i think needed to happen and get accomplished in my life that's what i was bringing to him in prayer and there's nothing wrong with that but instead of bringing all of that stuff first instead of bringing my list of things to pray through I simply made it a point to say, Lord, I'm here to be with you. Before we tackle the list, before we talk about it, before all the things I want you to be involved in and change and do and grow in my life, I'm here just to meet with you. And friends, I can't tell you how my life with God has changed in a dynamic way to experience what Scripture says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I've never experienced so much joy in my relationship with God in doing this simple shift of saying, before we get to my list and before we get to all the things that I want to tell you about and I want you to change, I'm simply going to come to be with you and I'm going to bring my ears first before I bring my list. That's what I see Jesus do here. When it says that Jesus gets up and he goes to pray with the Father, he's coming to commune and build this relationship of intimacy Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to come and listen, to bring our ears in the context of prayer? You know, I've sought out some beautiful places if you want to throw this picture on the side screen. This is Lake Moraine. I was up on a prayer retreat uh, in the National Park of Banff, and there's this little dock that I'm sitting on. when I, I took this picture. This picture is from my iPhone. Wow, talk about God's beautiful creation. I just sat there with no agenda. Not, God, grow the church. God, grow me. God, grow my kids. God, grow everything. Change everything. Be about everything. But just to sit and enjoy his magnificent splendor. Now, you might be thinking, okay, well, Garrick, we live in, you know, the South Bay. It's a beautiful place. Lake Marine, far away. Hard to get there. Calgary, Canada. Will they even let us in right now? I'm not sure. Go to that next picture for me. This is just the backside of the hill. Just to remind you that we live, friends, in a very beautiful place. And just as I said before, regardless of how busy you are, you can find moments of stillness You can find moments to come and bring your ears to the Lord before you come and bring your list. And friends, I will tell you, if you're willing to do that, it has the power and the potential to revolutionize your prayer life and your life with God. So, we're told Jesus gets up, he leaves the house, and he goes off to a solitary place to pray. And then in verse 36, we're told Simon and his companions went to look for him and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus left needs of others unmet and unattended so that he could attend his relationship with his father. And for those of you that are involved in ministry and volunteer here in this church, it's a good word for you to hear today that sometimes you need to be reminded that you are not the Holy Spirit, that you can't fix every problem, and that it doesn't depend on you to be part of every solution, that Jesus left some things in ministry undone for the important need of pursuing and giving his ears to his heavenly Father in prayer. Because the disciples are pursuing him, and in the language of the Greek, it really means more that they are seeking after him. They're basically attempting to take control and determine the outcome for the day, saying, Jesus, there are more people here here to heal, and we'd like you to stay here and heal instead of running off by yourself into the wilderness where we can't find you to get some moments with the Heavenly Father. Notice that Jesus' inward rhythm of prayer sustains his outward witness to the world. Let me say that again. Jesus' inward rhythm of prayer sustains his outward witness to the world. This is our fourth rhythm of Jesus' prayer life. His inner life with God empowers his outward witness to the world. His inner life with God empowered his outward witness to the world. Because what does he do? After this time of prayer, look with me in verse 38. It says, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the villages nearby so that I can preach there also. This is why I have come. Friends, it's the same for us. Our inner life with God empowers our outward witness to the world. And here's a truth that I know personally. When your prayer life becomes diminished, so does your joy. And when you lose your joy in the Lord, you lose your motivation. And over time, as we lose our motivation, we can often lose our faithfulness to the Lord. So I want to encourage you to take small steps in your life of prayer with the Lord to keep the inner life with God joyful because ultimately it will lead to a fruitful witness for him. So Jesus goes off to a solitary place, as we're told. He goes into the wilderness. He's seeking silence and solitude, a place to speak and a place to listen, a place basically free from all the distractions. Friends, we need a quiet place a place quiet from the external noise so that we can often hear the internal noise going on in our hearts. Where might be that place for you? I hate to say it, but if you're a young mom, that place for you right now is the bathroom. You guys have been there. I watched my wife go through that season. But if you've moved past that stage, you know that you can find, as I said before, moments and places of quiet and stillness. The question becomes, can the Lord have those moments? Can you come and give him your ears? Notice that that place of solitude and silence, this wilderness that Jesus pursues to be by himself, also gives him clarity of identity and purpose. In verse 38, he says, I've come to preach, and that is why I have come. Friends, clarity comes when we spend time with our Heavenly Father. That's the fifth and final rhythm of Jesus' prayer life. Prayer creates clarity of purpose. And let's be honest. Some of us are so distracted right now. We need to be brought back to, what am I doing here? Am I really here to amass wealth? Am I really here to live a very comfortable life so that when I die, I kind of fall into this very comfortable pillow? Is that what this thing is about? Or is it about what we said at the top, that we really believe that Jesus rose from the grave and that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning today, and that in that, he has our back so that we can go and trust him and live a great life of faith of extending ourselves relationally to the person who's opposite us, to loving and caring about the person who's actively trying to hurt us, to stepping into a ministry that we care about other people and not ourselves. Those are the things that we do as we live in this rhythm of faith that comes from the clarity of prayer. We prioritize our lives. Let me remind you, That we are here to enjoy God and tell others about that joy and if you've grown up in an evangelical church you've heard that message again and again and somewhere in the back of your mind you have I'm not living here just for me I'm here for other people and so you have this thrust for witness like you're looking around on your radar like how am I gonna have an opportunity to talk about the goodness of Jesus And we struggle with that, I think, not because we don't have a good message. Friends, the gospel is still good news, and the world needs it. Our problem is we forgot that there's joy in the Lord. Have you ever noticed that God has hardwired you to share something that you enjoy? I mean, just the other day, I found a TV show that I was like, oh my gosh, I'm enjoying it so much, and I came into the office, and I'm like, have you watched? Have you watched? Have you watched? They're like, what got into you? you haven't noticed, I'm kind of an excitable personality. God has hardwired you to naturally share what you enjoy. I don't care if it's the restaurant you love, the TV that you watch, where you vacation. These are the things you talk about when you get in that awkward circle of other people in this church and you're staring each other in the face and you're like, we know each other, but we don't know each other. What do we talk about? I guarantee you talk about the things that you enjoy. So I'm trying to remind us that this isn't a message of like, you know what? If you loved Jesus, you would make time for him and you would pray to him. No, this is the exact opposite. This is trying to free us to experience the joy of the Lord so that when we go to witness, it comes out of a natural place of like, man, I've been with the Father and I'm enjoying him. And as I enjoy him, I want you to enjoy him because God has designed you as his beloved daughter and as his beloved son to enjoy him. And as you enjoy him, then your witness just kind of flows. It's just you being you. It's no longer Pastor Garrick, well, he said, and so I should. And then it's obligation. No, it's this real place of the joy of the Lord who loves you who calls you into prayer because he wants to hear about you. Anybody who's been blessed with the privilege of being a parent. Do you remember when your kids were small and they came to you with mostly gibberish? You loved them. You loved their gibberish. Your kids come to you as teenagers and tell you things you don't want to hear. And you love them because they're your children. That's why God, time and time and time again in scripture says, this is who you are. You are my child, which means I delight in you and I find joy in you. Yeah, but I lived a really terrible week. He loves you. Yeah, but I lived a week where I'm not even sure I'm walking in faith. He still loves you. It's that love that he has for you that we come in and under as we come to him in prayer and we give him our ears. And as we begin to experience the joy of the Lord that we were designed and created to experience. Friends, we begin to really have clarity of what we're doing here. We're here to enjoy the Lord and then naturally tell others, God is good. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the opportunity for this passage for myself and for my brothers and sisters to be reminded of your goodness. Thank you for the rhythms that we see in Jesus's prayer life. Father, I pray that each one of us this morning would grab a hold of one of those five ideas and begin to walk with you in a new way to dance maybe to a different rhythm in our prayer lives. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who their life of prayer has really been dominated out of obligation and not delight. It's felt more like duty and discipline than joy. Father, I pray that in your grace, you would meet them, and that you would begin to give them an opportunity to experience your presence and goodness before trying to get anything done, just being reminded that they are your child and that they're beloved. And Father, for my friends, my brothers and sisters who have an active prayer life already, Father, I pray that you would fan it into flame, that the joy of the Lord would be the byproduct, and as that joy continues to grow and come, that they would delight more and more and more in you. That it would build more trust in their lives and build great opportunity to give witness to the reality of the empty tomb. That you are the lamb who sits on the throne and that you reign. Father, thank you that you are the way. Jesus, thank you that you are the way and thank you that you have shown us the way to have an intimate relationship with you that actually changes how we live. God, do your work this morning. May we receive from you and join in your rhythm of prayer. In your name we pray, amen. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at journeysouthbay. Until next time, God bless.